Welcome back, everybody. Of course, we are turning everything on its head this morning, the first half of the show, in the second half of the show, and the second half of the show in the first half of the show. We have Tumbled Up Tuesday happening today. Mm-hmm. Keeps it interesting. Keeps it interesting. Uh, and so we're going to have our news and current affairs segment right now. <laughs> All right. So what we have coming up next is positively different news. Mm-hmm. And that is many segments. So many go for it on positively different news. Okay. So yesterday, if you guys were listening yesterday, we talked a bit about sunshine and outdoors and all the things. Anyway, so... In Warsaw, in Poland, they have become the latest city to feature public art projects that also clean city air. So this isn't actually a completely new idea, but this is like the most recent one. Basically, a giant mural was painted on the side of a massive building, um, and it's using special sunlight-activated smog-cleaning pigments. It uses photocatalytic paint with titanium dioxide, to attract airborne pollutants and converts them into harmless nitrates through a chemical process involving sunlight. See, I'm just telling you, we need more sun. We don't realize, but the sun is not life. Like God gives us life, but like the sun the is sun- your friend. It is not your enemy. <laughs> oh, I tell you. Okay, so many. I got to ask this question though, because mm-hmm. do I detect a little bit of red hair in your redness in your hair? Because oh. you've got very fair skin. Yeah, well, probably. My mum's a redhead. Yes. Very redhead, and yes. we do have. Irish Scottish in our background. It's funny. Some people are like, your hair is just brown. And quite a few people, every now and then they'll be like, oh, red. And I'm just like, well, I, d- I don't know. I don't look at it that often. But yes. <laughs> I would say this. I'd say it's got a tinge of red. Look, I'll take it. <laughs> and yet the sun is your friend. Yeah. Okay, so how does oh, you that mean work? No, oh. Yeah, fair skin, red hair. Well, you know what? My mum is, yeah, very, very red. I mean, not too much now. She's getting a few whites in there. <laughs> I tease her about it. <laughs> but she has very... Um, I guess what you'd say, like British skin, like the very freckly light. So you think she yes. burns like crazy, but she can get an awesome tan. Um, right. So I don't know. I don't know if it's just because from the time she was young, she got some skin, a sun exposure. I don't know. But does uh, does she live a like a particularly healthy lifestyle? Yeah, but she's in she's outside a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, to my knowledge, always been vegetarian. Um, she doesn't eat a lot of fatty foods. Um, she does like a chocolate. We'll say she does like a chocolate. <laughs> it's a problem for me because I don't eat much and then she always has a supply in her fridge. But she, yeah, she's actually quite, she really struggles to put on weight. So she'll eat foods that she probably doesn't need in an attempt to put on weight. I was like, what? Who are you? Um, but no. There's a lot of people this morning who are listening to this part of the show and just getting angry at your mum. <laughs> oh, I understand. But no, so my mum... I mean, she will, oh no, I can't even think of the last time she would have sunburned. And my dad also tans really well. So, look, I don't know. I just seem to not sunburn that much. There you go. I never sunburn. Well, this is, this is something that I actually, you know, anecdotally mm-hmm. believe in. Mm-hmm. This is my personal conspiracy theory. Oh, brilliant. So my personal conspiracy theory is that, um, well, we know that melanoma, which mm-hmm. is a major problem in Australia – is a lifestyle disease. Yes. And so everybody says stay out of the sun. You actually need to stay away from high-fat foods and mm. not burn. Yes, yes. It's important not to burn. That just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not fun to get burnt, so why burn? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but we do need to not avoid the sun. We avoid the sun way too much in Australia. A quarter of Australians are low on vitamin D. We talked about this extensively yesterday. But if you are on a low-fat diet, mm. then... 
when the sun hits your skin, it turns into vitamin D rather than turning into skin cancer. Yeah. And this is something that at least... Well, I'm, provided we don't burn. Yes, yeah. But I, and I think that's one of the problems in Australia is we'll go, no sun, no sun, no sun, no sun, smash yourself like a day at the beach or something, like six hours in the sun. Yes. You know, it's just very kind of imbalanced. <laughs> it is imbalanced. And my personal conspiracy theory is if, if you're on a, on a low-fat diet, you're not going to burn as bad. Mm, mm. It's just... I've heard that. Makes sense to me mm. that, you know, fat is one of those things you put it on the fire and it burns. You yeah. put it on the barbecue, we know what happens. Oh, so you yeah. put it in your skin. If it's got lots of it in your skin because you're on a high fat diet, then I was just, don't don't quote me on this one whatsoever at all. This is just this is just live uh-huh, raving on. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> no, but it's very true. And I think even things like with wearing sunscreen, even with that, um, like someone was telling me a little while ago, so I don't know the science behind it, but someone was saying there are different skin types. So some people will, you'll put on a sunscreen, but you might still burn with that sunscreen on. Mm-hmm. That's right. So the answer isn't just, yeah, just chuck anything on. You've got to know your skin mm-hmm. and you've got to know what is an appropriate amount of sun for your skin. The other thing too that to remember is, you know, and I avoid sun cream when I can. <laughs> Minnie's like, I don't, um, I don't wear it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't like all of that greasy stuff soaking into oh, your pores, do yuck, you? Oh, man. It's so gross. <laughs> but as you said, if I burn, I'm like, self, this is your fault. And it's very rare that I will. Yes. But I'm like, okay, you've just been irresponsible today. That's right. You just manage your, you just manage your sun exposure time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I go sailing and I spend all day on the ocean. Mm. You've got to be careful because you're getting double dose of sun, sun off the water, sun off the sky. Yeah, and so you do have to um, you do have to be more careful than normal. But if you cover up a bit and wear a minimal amount of sunscreen, because it is full of chemicals, and you do soak all those chemicals into your body through your skin pores, uh, which isn't ideal. <laughs> it's better than no. it's better than burning. Yes, there's yes. no question about that. Uh, burning is a bad idea. Uh, but yeah, anyway, this is interesting stuff. Yeah, I was just like, this is amazing. So I don't know how they make this paint. I couldn't find that out. I also don't have a super sciencey mind, so I get a bit lost in sciencey explanations. Um, but I just thought that was really cool because basically, apparently, this this mural can purify the air um, to the same degree that 720 trees in the area could purify the air. So there's something about this paint that's wow. being activated by the sunshine, um, which is purifying the air, and it's part of a campaign called City Forests. And it's this one was organised by Converse. I don't know if you guys have heard of Converse. It's a brand. could be sportswear brand. I don't know. Anyway, it's a brand. And they're just trying to – oh, shoes. It's shoes. There we go. <laughs> Lyle's, I mean, not Lyle. Liam's giving me some pointers there. Um, but, yeah, so they, they want to do this whole campaign. And in theory, they report that it should in total do the work of about 3,000 trees by the time they're done, which is pretty significant. That is very That's, significant. Um, and – a bunch of cities all around the world. The first place to do it was Thailand, then Belgrade, Lima, Jakarta, um, Manila, San Paulo, Santiago, Johannesburg, apparently Melbourne also, Bogota, I don't know, and Panama Cedar. All Bogota. these, all these cities have plans to do the same. So it's a step in the in the right direction, you know. I prefer trees. Exactly. I was going to say. Look, but if we can't have trees, this is definitely very very cool. That's right, and and I I tend to think it is also about all the collective things you have. So if you can have your nature. That's always a step better, but this is this is a good place to start. I love these new buildings that they build in cities. These big uh, skyscrapers. No, I don't like, love any kind of skyscraper, <laughs> but I love the fact that they grow things all over them. Yeah, they I look know. so amazing, like these vertical cliff faces of just you know all kinds of greenery. It's amazing. It's really really awesome. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. 
positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. John Ashton. Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, Laura. Now, I understand that you are up at the Sozo Health Retreat at the moment. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's right. We've um, got about uh, 11 uh, guests here who are participating in the program and we've had uh, tremendous uh, feedback uh, from the, from the, the folk. They're just so appreciative and, um, and enjoying the, the program. They're, they're just so positive about it, which is so encouraging. That's incredibly encouraging, and it's just super encouraging that we're able to continue to run a program like this even during COVID. Uh, and of course, it's particularly relevant because we all want to be healthy with COVID floating around the place. And uh, I'm kind of jealous that you're able to be up there, John. <laughs> yes, well, there's been a lot of prayer, and uh, of course, um, there's a lot of um, uh, sort of new protocols in place. Uh, hand disinfectants er everywhere. There's sort of a lot of uh, extra uh, precautions that uh, everyone has to take at the present time, but everyone is fitting in and understands that. Uh, so it, it's very good. Mm. Mm, fantastic. Now, um, Dr. John Ashton, you normally, we, we normally talk here about uh, creation and uh, issues in relationship to creation and science uh, because you are a scientist. What is it that we're talking about today? Oh, right. Yes, of course. Yes, well, I think one of the very interesting challenges for secular science is to explain the origin of the mind or our thoughts. And this is something that um, is actually a major stumbling block and a major challenge for evolution because while we, we have our brain and our brain is a, a material substance, so our brain you know, when we're dead, hopefully, uh, it could be cut out, it could be weighed, it, we can measure its volume. Um, and so it's a material thing. But our thoughts are non-material. We can't weigh our thoughts. You can't put your thoughts on a balance. You can't pick your thoughts up and put them in a measuring cylinder. Our, our thoughts are non-material. And, and when you think about it, who we are is really our thoughts or our mind, or our consciousness. And we all have this unique consciousness that constitutes who we are. And, you know, so, you know, people talk about, oh, humans evolved from monkeys. But, and they say, well, monkeys have a brain and they can do certain things. Well, so can dogs, horses. And when you think about it, you know, you, you think of European cuckoos um, that are raised, these are birds that are raised by another bird. So the cuckoo lays an egg in a nest of another bird. The other bird raises the, the little cuckoo chicks, they mature, the European cuckoo, and then they fly to South Africa and meet up with their parents. Now, right. how do they know where to go? Now, and how do they know who the their parents are? Well, that, well, I mean, meet up with all the other cuckoos at the particular spot in South Africa. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, and when we think of the migration of the monarch butterflies, um, that you can have a, a butterfly that will uh, migrate from, uh, say, uh, Mexico there where they winter up to, say, Canada, 
and you can have a couple of generations over the summer of the monarch butterfly and then those little butterflies will then fly and migrate back down to Mexico to a place where their parents haven't been. That's where their grandparents came from. And uh, they can be blown off course and they know where to go. And so evolu- when we think about evolution, the theory of evolution is a, is a mechanical sort of model to explain life, right? And they, they have that uh, mutations, which are just chemical reactions involving chemicals, which are just made up of atoms, inert atoms. And these atoms essentially come together and evolutionists have to say, well, they form this amazing code of DNA. And this amazing code of DNA then has to form the little brain in the butterfly, the little brain in the, in the bird, the dog, the horse, the bear, and so forth. But where does that, um, that desire to migrate, for example, to that particular area come from? Where does the desire for a spider to, to build a web of a particular design characteristic of that particular spider? Because all that programming to, to make the structures in the brain and everything, according to evolutionists, has to occur by chance. But there's something more than that. Electrical voltages in the brain are caused by the, the movement. If there's a laws in physics that if you have any conducting solution moving and at, or at different concentrations, you'll produce an electrical voltage of some kind. So just salt water moving through a pipe you'll produce a voltage from one end to the other. Any two different metals or different conductors at slightly different temperatures will produce a voltage. And it's these voltages that affect our nervous system and, and so forth. And so there are these mechanisms of physics. But what, what it controls those voltages are our thoughts. In other words, our thoughts change voltages in our brain that then become the movement of our hand to write a poem that no one else has written to make a new sculpture, to invent something. So evolution cannot explain where the thoughts come from, and this is powerful evidence for the existence of God. The fact that these birds and butterflies and so forth can migrate, can know where to, to go, can navigate, requires intelligence, it requires um, interaction with, you know, the Earth's magnetic field, stars and so forth to be able to navigate. Where does this information and ability come from? It can't come from inert chemicals. It can't come from random reactions. Yes. And there's even more. Oh, okay. sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, when it comes to your thoughts, what part of your thoughts is made up of matter and energy? You know, if everything's made up of matter and energy, well... What part of that is uh, make, goes to making up your thoughts? It's, um... Well, this is it. Our thoughts are actually made up of matter and energy. Our thoughts affect matter and energy. But our thoughts are non-material. They're spiritual. And this is, a, this is a fascinating thing, you see. Who we are is our thoughts. So when we die, right, the biochemistry in our body fails. And we die. And our body rots away. And God says he's going to make new bodies for us that aren't subject to decay. But what's us? And 
the us part is the non-material part of us, which God then preserves. Remember David prayed after he he uh, sinned with Bathsheba, he prayed, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Remember also when Jesus said, when the young man uh, came to him and he said, look, uh, look, I can't follow you. I've, I've got to go and um, you know, bury my dead relative. And he said, oh, look, let the dead bury the dead. So what do you mean by that? If we don't accept Jesus and are not born again, then that, that's what preserves us. God comes and lives with us. He, he couples with us. And this non-material part of us, this part of us, the spiritual part of us, then is coupled with God. And that's why Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know God and the Son whom he has sent. And to me, this is the amazing thing. And why Jesus says it's just asleep. How can it be asleep if your body is just totally being destroyed by a fire and there's nothing left of you? And then the remnant, you know, sort of atoms have been sort of vaporised and themselves totally broken down into different compounds. But yet Jesus says we're still asleep and he can resurrect us. And the reason is because who we are in that sense is not uh, is non-material. And that's why, you know, Jesus said, fear God who can, you know, throw the body and soul into, into, into hell. Another statement there, of course, that we read in, uh, where is it? It's in one of the little books that Paul talks about, that God alone is immortal. Mm. And so the, the doctrine of the immortality of the soul is is false. It's not that the spiritual part of us lives forever and can live forever. It can't. It's totally dependent on God and and comes from God. And if we deny God, then we break that connection with God. And that non-material part of us then just is gone forever. So if then we look at... Jesus as an example of somebody who was resurrected from the dead. Uh, Jesus comes back from the dead and he's clearly recognizable when John sees Jesus in you know, Revelation chapter 1. He sees him in all his glory, so very, very different. Um, but he's not a different person. He's still the same person That's because right. he has the yeah, same that... thoughts. That's right, and who we are is our thoughts, our non-material thoughts, and that's why it's preserved, and that's why God is going to then put those thoughts to control a new body that won't decay. Because really, our bodies, these physical bodies, are just what we call a transducer. They enable one, well, a transducer enables one form of energy to converted to another. But essentially, it enables our non-material spiritual aspect of ourselves to operate a physical machine to live in the physical environment that God made. So God made this beautiful world with the beautiful flowers and animals and so forth and it's been stuffed up by sin and we've been stuffed up by sin. And But we can appreciate beauty. We And these are all non-material things um, that we appreciate. And uh, but that's going to be preserved, and that's how we'll be able to recognise one another as well. We will know who our family members are, and and this is the beauty of an evolution has no explanation for this non-material aspect. And there's even more, because our brain cells are turning over all the time, and evolution has tried to say, 
well, somehow this information is encoded in the brain and it, you know, somehow it's got there. But hang on, how can our thoughts be preserved on a substrate that is changing? How can memory be preserved on a substrate that is changing because our brain cells are turning over? And this is, a, this is another challenge. But all these things to me point to the fact that we were created. We are special. We are different. Um, we're made, as God says, in the image of God. And that image of God is not this physical image that we all look at as pictures of ourselves, but it's, it's our mind. It's the construct of who we are in terms of our thoughts and mind. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I think it's it's just so obvious and it's just so, in my view, compelling that evolution is absolutely impossible. We were created by a non-material, super-intelligent being. That's powerful and it's profound. I just wanted to tap into something you said there a moment ago about our appreciation of the non-material, our appreciation of beauty. Does this demonstrate a difference between human beings and other creatures as human beings being a, uh, a higher level in that you know, we can appreciate the beauty of scenery, we can appreciate the beauty of a garden or of a flower or of a sunset or of you know, an ocean scenery or mountains and so forth, whereas my dog, for instance, doesn't appreciate that beauty? Well, as far as we know, that is something different. But animals can certainly appear to show a sort of loyalty and, and connection. So we know, for example, and I, I saw one the other day, there was a dead um, uh, a, a, a bird just on my driveway and I noticed the other bird was trying to make it alive but was trying to, to push it and saying it was almost saying like get up come on we, we need to go you know but the poor bird had died and uh, so there's this connection this bonding that um, that animals can can show but it's it's very different to the I think the uh, appreciation and the, and the fact that uh, we can create art we can create things that again, are aesthetically pleasing and and so forth, which is something that animals don't don't seem to do. You know, the mon monkeys can you know scribble something down, but they don't seem to compose something that then we would regard as art. Although I, I, this is not you getting out of my field here. <laughs> yeah, well, when when I look sure. at some of the modern art, I think, whoa, <laughs> not sure wow. I could appreciate that. <laughs> Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always appreciate the thoughts you've got to share. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And so now it is time for... Question of the Day. Okay, so somebody wants to know about the three heavens. The Bible speaks about three heavens, and we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we need to find out what are these Heavens. There are three of them, and what are they? And understanding the three heavens actually helps us to understand a lot of places in the Bible where the talk, Bible talks about heaven or the heavens. In Second Corinthians chapter twelve, the Bible says uh, Paul Paul gives a Paul gives a story, an experience of a vision that he had 
And he gives it in the third person. He says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man. That's himself. That's Paul. In Christ, about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows, such a one caught up to the third heaven. So here Paul speaks and references three heavens and references the fact that when he had this particular vision, he was caught up to the third heaven. So we need to figure out what is the first and what is the second. All right. So to be able to understand the first and the second, we're going to define what is the third. Uh, The Bible says he was caught up. uh, um, He continues on in verse 3, I knew a man's whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, so he repeats himself, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. And so we know that the third heaven is paradise, that is where God lives. And so we often speak about heaven and the angels of heaven and God living in heaven, and we can read about heaven in the Bible, descriptions of heaven that are in the Bible as a place of paradise. And so when Paul had this particular vision, uh, he went to heaven in this particular vision, heaven where God lives. Now, if that is the third heaven, we have to ask ourselves, all right, what is the first heaven? What is the second heaven? So we can go back over to, oh, let's go to Matthew 24 for this one. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, and we will read about the return of Jesus Christ, where Jesus comes back from heaven to this earth to take us to heaven to be with him. And uh, the Bible says um, in verse 30, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then will all the tribes of the earth mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Let's stop there for a moment. Whereabouts do you find clouds? You find clouds in the sky. Right? Hold that thought. The clouds of heaven. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven. From one end of the earth to the other. Whereabouts do you find wind? Well, wind is a part of our atmosphere. You go outside of our atmosphere, there is no wind. Clouds are a part of our atmosphere. You go outside of our atmosphere, there are no clouds. So the first heaven is what we would call the atmosphere or the sky. And so when the Bible says that, uh, say for instance, 2 Peter, um, you know, that the, 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 the earth will melt with fervent heat and the, the earth also and the atmosphere, the heavens will be burned up. It's not saying that paradise where God lives will be burned up. It's saying that our atmosphere will be burned up. So there's your first heaven. So your first heaven is the atmosphere. That's where the birds fly. They, the Bible speaks about birds flying in the heavens. Uh, the, the third heaven is paradise. And so we would assume that the second heaven is somewhere between our atmosphere and paradise. And once again, you find many passages of scripture that talk about the starry heavens or the stars in the heavens. And so the universe is the second heaven. Atmosphere, stars, and then paradise. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.